Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, listener, it's Zach Harper, Amin Hassan, and Anthony Mays of Cinephobe. You may be asking yourself, what is Cinephobe? Amin, would you like to fill in the people? Cinephobe is the podcast where Zach and I watch movies that are poorly rated on Rotten Tomatoes and try to ascertain. I'm trying to well. ascertain? Yes. Okay. Ascertain. Whether or not they're accurately poorly rated, or maybe they didn't get a fair shake. Cinephobe, produced by this guy, Anthony Mays. Hey, that's me. I produced this show. I also watched the movies, even though that wasn't included in the description, and I also ascertained. <laughs> This month is... Wow! Oh, oh, Maze, why do you say that? Supercharge it. (laughs) So that this promo can remain evergreen. I feel like explaining a little bit more. In 60 seconds? I don't know. Maybe I don't bring attention to it. Assuring people like, look, if you listen, you're going to get it. Just give it give it time. That's a good promo. Just listen to it. Give it time. You'll figure it out. Is this the promo right now? Isn't it? Okay, I think we got it. Cinefo. Wherever you get podcasts. (laughs) I have such a stomachache, Adam. <laughs> I ate too much because I didn't want to be hungry while we were doing the show. What did you eat, Bonnie? It's not going to sound good to you. Was it grapes that you found in your couch cushion? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm really trying to be healthy now. So my daughter taught me how to make, it's, you put the onions in first with some olive oil, kind of gives you like a little liquidy down there. Then Brussels sprouts cut in half. And what are those things called? Parsnips, because it gives it flavor. Then I put some pepper on, cayenne powder, and make it a little tasty. This was in the couch cushion? <laughs> <laughs> That's disgusting. Polly, you're in our cold open again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't pretend I'm not here. When you said you were trying to eat healthy, I assumed you were eating the couch cushion. But no. now it's... Parsnips in between your couch cushion with oil and uh, onion. See, Paula, this is why we don't let you in the cold open. It's long enough as it is. (laughs) Sorry. It's like you were teasing me out with that disgusting story Bonnie told. No, because when I eat too much junk and then like after six or seven days, I have to have something green. My body's craving it. After six or seven days of what? (laughs) <laughs> you know that protein powder we talk about, Orgain? Yeah. Baked apples with Orgain on them. That's how you combine protein with a fruit. Like you're supposed to eat five servings of fruit or vegetables a day. There's one. Did we have a meeting where we decided it's a cooking show now? Because <laughs> I don't really like cooking shows. Yeah. No, but I'm I'm not a good cook. But I will share this with the nobodies. You know, you could cut a regular <laughs> apple, <laughs> a bunch of pieces, put it in the microwave for like only a minute 30, and it is like a baked potato. It's ready to go. No, it's a hot apple. 
<laughs> it's not a bag. It doesn't tra transmogrify into a potato. This is not some kind of like Catholic vegetable miracle that happens. Right. It's a hot apple. She has a Harry Potter oven. <laughs> I'm proud of myself because I'm, you know, I've learned how to cook some things. And the Brussels sprouts are pretty good. Absolutely, you've learned how to cook. You cut up an apple and put it in a microwave. My God. <laughs> I thought Julia Child was dead. All right, Chef Bonnie. We'll we'll get to your yeah. segment later. Welcome to Bonnie's Kitchen. For now, anybody mind if I do the show? I do think we should say this one thing to the listeners just in case. What's if that? If you ever go to Bonnie's house, don't sit on the couch. <laughs> I still have Snickers wrappers stuck on the side of the couch, so nobody will see that I ate them. God damn it, Bonnie. Okay, god damn it. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, we know what you're thinking. You're thinking, where can I find a podcast about oysters? Well, guess what? You're already here. Yes, we've got international oyster expert Julie Chu here. Normally, you'd have to shell out a lot of clams for her pearls of wisdom, but we're giving it to you for free. Because we don't want to be shellfish about it. And if you're upset about those puns and want to let me know, you're in good company. Because we've got a bunch of listeners who want to tell us our business in Mailbag Busy Buddy Edition. I'm Adam Felber. This podcast's clam. Furiously ejecting great gouts of conversational water to somehow keep this show afloat and not plummet into the unimaginable depths. And now... Please welcome our oyster. Wait, you don't you don't have to you don't have to introduce me this time because I've already shown myself. I'm I've already introducing you myself. anyway because that is proper and right. So shut up and wait for your <laughs> Now please welcome our oyster taking in giant amounts of silt in the hopes of making a pearl or at least collecting it for her cat boxes. It's Paula Poundstone. feel better now that you're coming out to applause, Paula? Well, the surprise has been ruined. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, you guys. Uh, and, and before I go a word further, thanks to tonight's house band, Broadway violinist Sylvia Diavonzo. <laughs> Thank you so much. You sound wonderful. Yes. Broadway violinist. I think she means Broadway, New York, not Broadway, Santa Monica. She probably does, yeah. I don't want to be rude, but I think you have to have a license to busk on the Third Street Promenade. But let me just say that the audition process, there's not a high bar. Yeah, I would imagine, because if somebody, yeah. somebody will walk in in a robot suit and not move, and they'll say, what do you do? And the robot will say, this. And they'll say, here's your pass. Yeah, I tried to do it, but I asked people for less money. Like someone <laughs> would come up to the hat that I had and they'd put a dollar in. And I would just move the corner of my mouth and I'd go, don't give me that much. And, uh, <laughs> well, you know, right here on this podcast, of course, I learned mime. 
And surely we are the only one out of the millions of podcasts that has ever had an episode where we have a, a mime come on and teach the host how to mime. <laughs> My working theory is that we learned that there's good reason for that. No, I don't think so. I think it was one of the better episodes, I actually, I actually loved it. As you know, that mime was an old friend of mine, Peter Daniel. Yes, I do know that. Everybody we've ever had on is somehow related to you. Yeah. <laughs> Adam Felber somehow knows everyone. I'm on, I'm on quite a run. I mean, uh, we had that hurricane expert who turned out to be my wife's best friend freshman year of college. <laughs> yeah. That was a shocker. And that was just because he blew past her one day. Uh, <laughs> you could have made such a worse joke, and I love you for not doing so. I thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> I did think of it. I yeah. just, yeah. you know. People are touchy about their spouses. Oh, they are. I'm so happy that I don't have a spouse. I can't even tell you. Um, oh, you still don't have one? Oh, no. I used to have a friend. Uh, in fact, it was my junior high typing teacher. I really enjoyed her company. She was really fun and really nice. But she was of a different generation. I used to sometimes stay at her house when I traveled to Massachusetts. And again, couldn't be a nicer person. Did you ever say, talk QWERTY to me? Uh, no, but I thought of that too. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> when she got really angry with herself, she would go, backspace, backspace. <laughs> but every time I saw her, she would say, are you seeing anyone? And to try to explain to her that that was just not something I cared about. She could not understand that. And sometimes I'd get sort of annoyed by her saying that. And then the next time I saw her, by golly, she'd say it again. Oh, well. Yeah. It's time for Book Club. Yay! Oh, sorry, Bonnie. No, that's okay. Yeah, don't talk I'll over wait. the theme song. I'll wait. Yeah, you go ahead, Bonnie. I can wait. Well, I can't. <laughs> Okay, I think she's going to do something to me. We no, got... <laughs> I knew it. I've worked with her for all these years. We got a book club. We got a book club. We got a bookie, 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 book club. We got a book club. We got a book club. We're going to talk about our book tonight. Peter. Wow. <laughs> I like the way I got that in there fast so you really couldn't jump in. I wasn't planning <laughs> to Nobody jump in. Nobody was going to jump in. I know. <laughs> and once you get started singing your theme song, no one can jump in because we can't get our chins off the floor. <laughs> so. Did you yell Peter at the end of it? She did. I don't think so. You did. You did. did. And we don't know why. Why would I say Peter? That's a hint. That's a hint about the shower. (laughs) She shouts out someone's name. Shut up about the shower. Not just during sex, but she shouts out just any type of arousal, (laughs) even the book club theme song. She shouts out Peter's name. So it wasn't Zero Mustang. It was Peter Ustinov. Oh, my God. (laughs) He is so good. In Blackbeard's Ghost. <laughs> this is like such an old joke. What is? When are you guys going to stop beating a dead horse? We don't talk about Thomas Coyne this much. That's right. This never gets old. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't shout out Thomas Coyne at the end of your theme no, song. You, you shouted, shouted out Peter. Peter. Yeah. I didn't say Peter. Come on, Tony. I think you, I heard you say Peter. 
It was yeah, weird. She did. <laughs> she did. It was, yeah. I thought maybe I missed something, but yeah. Yeah, it was an out-of-the-body experience, apparently. You went bookie book, book club, Peter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nobody's oh help me out. She doesn't know what she's doing now. Oh, my God. Let's run the tape again. Replay the tape. We're going to talk about our book tonight. Peter. Well, now we've confirmed I, it. Honestly, right now, th- at this moment, I'm worried about my career. She has no <laughs> idea that she shouted out Peter. So now, when she's on the phone with somebody making arrangements for my to play at a theater, she's going to say, Paula, with like some Reese's peanut butter cups and an apple in the back room, Peter! And no one's going to know why. I'm very excited about our book. All right, let me bring us to it then. We read chapters 6 through 10 of our book club bookie book, which is Dark Corners by Ruth Rendell. What happened in those chapters is... Wait a minute, wait a minute. What did one wall say to the other, Adam? Uh, I'll meet you in the corner. Yes! Whoa. Yeah, that's good. So here's what happened in these five chapters. Carl, like, totally gave his friend these pills that killed her, and so now his roommate Dermot from upstairs is, like, blackmailing him and he won't pay the rent, and, like, Carl's mom had him over for dinner, and wait a minute, somebody else's parents are always going out, uh, the dad rides a bus a lot. That's Lizzie's father rides the bus. Yeah, Lizzie's father rides the bus a lot, and Lizzie is kind of like... Uh, taking her dead friend's apartment, even though she's totally not allowed to. And that's that. That wasn't very good. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's sort of where we are. Yeah, but he didn't mention people's names, really. Like Stacy. That name's kind of Stacy's the dead plus-sized actress. Lizzie, her friend, has taken over Stacy's house and has been living there surreptitiously because it's nicer than hers. Meanwhile, um, Lizzie's dad, we don't know how he fits into the story yet, but he likes riding the bus now that he's over 60 and it's free. Meanwhile, Carl's disgusting upstairs boarder has told him he's not going to be paying rent anymore because he, he can expose Carl for doing something that's not illegal, but unethical at least, giving poison pills to his friend. And Carl confessed all this to his live-in girlfriend who immediately shunned him and went to sleep in the guest bedroom and said that she regretted moving in at all. And isn't her name Nicola? It yeah. is Nicola. Adam skips over some of those details. I think uh, you have to use people's names when you're talking about what they did. Oh, my gosh. I, <laughs> I can't even believe you're saying that. I like, know. Oh, <laughs> you with your pronouns. <laughs> Bonnie will call me at 3 in the morning and go, well, he died. <laughs> <laughs> Paula, let's start with you. How did you react to these chapters? Uh, I don't know if I told you this, but I did tweet about it. My vacuum cleaner broke. And, you know, I live in a house with 10 cats and two big dogs. So to not have a vacuum cleaner is like a safety issue. What I had to do was I had to put like carabiners into the wall and put myself on belay as I walked around the house because the vacuum cleaner was gone for a week. And otherwise I could have sunk into the fur on the rug right, and suffocated. And then somebody on Twitter pointed out that I should get a shop vac. And and then I realized, well, I, I own a shop vac. And so I took it out and I had been using that, 
But the thing is, it only has like the suction area. You know, it doesn't have a rotary, right? It's not like an upright vacuum. So the surface area that you're vacuuming with is, you know, maybe uh, one inch by two inches. And uh, I really didn't read. (laughs) (laughs) It must have been hell to be your teacher back in school. Oh, yeah. I don't think it was an easy thing. So you really didn't read the chapters? No. Oh, Paula. I hate to do this, but oh. I move oh, no. to censure oh, no. Paula Poundstone for betraying book club and not reading the five chapters. All in favor? Yay. Yeah. I, you don't get censured for that, yeah. do you? Nay, nay. <laughs> oh, what a suck ass. Uh, well, as president pro tem, <laughs> I break the tie. You're censured, Paula Poundstone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what? That puts me on par with Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. I'm proud to be censured. Great company. <laughs> um, hey, Tony Anita Holland, Chairman Oaks, did you do your homework? I didn't. <laughs> <gasps> wow! <laughs> I just ran out of time. Oh, yeah, oh right. God. Which makes your no vote so, <laughs> so dirty. <laughs> I move to censure Tony Anita Hull for betraying the principles of book club. All in favor? Yay. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) So carried. (laughs) Tony Anita Hull has been censured. I hope your cat, Mr. Totes, is hissing at you right now because cats don't like hypocrisy. They do not. Wow, we have two censured members who didn't read. I feel terrible. Yeah, uh, you should. You could feel worse. You could be Stacy, and she's dead. Uh, yeah. So this is good. Let's see good if we can go for a triple that. play here uh, in censure land. Bonnie Burns up in the Simi Valley. How did you feel about these chapters? This is going to shock you. I listened to those chapters while I was making the Brussels sprouts, so I did read the book. <laughs> Yay, all right. <laughs> I use my time well. This is what I think. I just think, to be fair to the author, this just isn't my genre, the kind of book that I'm normally interested in. I think in it's genre. I don't think it's genre. Genre. <laughs> I, the same I said genre. No, you said. You've you been censured, s- Paula and, Bar- I, and Tony. <laughs> Leave her alone. No, I said G-E-N-R-E. Yeah, genre. genre. It's genre. It's not oh, genre. genre. It's yeah. genre. Yeah. Do you remember Jaja Gabor? <laughs> she was the fourth Gabor sister. She had a big giant jaw. Jaja. <laughs> okay, so I like to read things that the I think the writing is beautiful. And oh. I do not find that with this book. Apparently she's a good mystery writer, but it just reminds me of that kind of old kind of writing, like, and she saw the man walking down the street, and he had a cane and a spotted hat. And, like, there goes that. That's old kind of writing? I hear you. She is not a stylist, Bonnie. You are right on the money about this. She writes very matter-of-factly. She actually writes a little bit like Stephen King writes, which might be why he likes her. Uh-huh. Because the story is turning pretty creepy. Um, but but there's no art to it. There's no art to the writing. There's no art to it. That's good description. You know what? Don't say bad. This book, we're reading it because it was on Stephen King's favorite book list. Yeah. And we're trying to get him to join us for a book club one time. So what if he's listening to this episode? He would, you know, put on uh, 
Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. He'd settle down in his chair, maybe with a cup of coffee or maybe a espresso or something. Right. Because, you know, he's got money. And then he goes to listen and he's like, oh, well, I enjoyed the beginning part, you know. But now let me listen to the book club part. And the first thing he hears is that Bonnie Burns did thought that the writing was the old kind when someone walks down the street with a cane and a spotted hat. And then Adam Felber says, oh, she writes like Stephen King. You guys, you got to make the bed. Do you know what I mean? You have to make it inviting for the guests to come on. I got to beg to differ because before he hears either of those opinions, he's going to hear that Paula Poundstone <laughs> and Tony Nita Hall didn't even bother to read the chapters of one of his favorite books. No, 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 no. You know, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize about Stephen King is he keeps his place really tidy. And when he hears that my vacuum was broken and I had to vacuum with a shop vac, he's going to say to himself, she didn't have time to read. That's not about. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's possible. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I didn't get like in the next few days a big package in the mail, and it was a brand new Dyson vacuum cleaner from Stephen King. I wouldn't be even a little bit surprised. <laughs> I'd be super surprised. And uh, here, Bonnie, let me uh, reply to your actual comment on the actual book, which you actually read, and say that- Wait a minute. I just, before you do that, I would like to thank Stephen King for the vacuum cleaner. Thank you, <laughs> Stephen King. All right, then. really nice of you, and we welcome you to so, our show. I'll tell you a quick story, Bonnie, and I think you're the only one who read it, so you're the, you're the only one who's going to understand this. When I used to teach improv and direct Here Im- we go. improv. <laughs> Adam okay. taught improv. Go ahead. <laughs> one interesting thing that I remember always telling my students was when, you, when they wanted to learn how to do certain styles, I, I, I would tell them that when somebody gives you kung fu movie or martial arts movie, you do the exact same thing that you do when somebody yells out pornography, which is the plot no longer matters. It becomes all about getting to that thing, whether it's sex or a judo fight. That, that's, that's the only thing that matters. The plot can stop making sense. The characters can stop having motivations. Wait a minute. Are you explaining how you killed your first three wives? <laughs> <laughs> no. It's so exact same. Here's what I want to get to about this book. I think that Ruth Rendell is doing that same thing, but instead of with kung fu or porn, she's doing it with spookiness. And so what she needs is for the character, Carl, to be completely alone and isolated. And all her characters are really isolated and alone. And she does this by having characters do things that they wouldn't necessarily do in real life. Like Nicola just deciding that, you know, her the guy she's just moved in with is now completely unapproachable and can't be stayed with just because he accidentally gave his friend poison pills. It doesn't make any sense, but it does isolate the main character, and that's the point here. You know, there's no fucking way that you can make that explanation in any way have any surface area in common with you teaching improv. (laughs) Why is that, Paula? (laughs) It was like you just told two entirely different stories. Well, you don't get the porn and kung fu thing that I used to teach? It's like you said, Little Red Riding Hood was off to her grandmother's house carrying a basket of food. And Captain Quint... What are you drove talking the, about? Drove the boat out into the ocean. It's a, it's in, a in search of connection the, between the how to teach people how to do the styles improv and what's going on no, here. There's no connection between the two. In you know fact, what, Paula? I think if no. you had read these chapters, then I might entertain <laughs> your opinion on this matter. 
You know what? I do a citizen censure of Adam Felber. What? I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I, I, I had a hard time following it, Adam. Because it made I, honestly, no sense. I didn't know what you were talking about. No, of course you didn't. <laughs> yes. Oh, Tony, did you understand what I was saying? I followed, I followed what you said. Thank okay, you, you explain shit. it. Yeah, Tony, you tell us what Adam just said. How that connected to the book. You explain it. Oh my gosh, I feel on the spot. <laughs> what a suck ass. No, I get I'm just saying. I see the correlation between him teaching improv, you know, between the porn and the, you know, martial arts movies and porn and the martial arts. Yeah. And then in this book, she's just trying to get to the spooky, just like you want to get to the sex or get to the fights. Yes. But she's taking forever. I don't even think it moves along that, <laughs> oh that quickly. God. So it's a slow and porn movie, Bonnie. I don't... <laughs> Bonnie, I think she's taking a long... That's one of my problems. Stuff doesn't happen fast enough. I don't find it compelling. That's valid. Instead of reading the book, you would like to just take the whole thing as a pill. Is that correct? <laughs> just, you would like to take a Dark Corners pill oh, and wait, swallow it. I have it to take a pill. Have... Oh, I'm so glad I brought it up. <laughs> This show is off the rails. This is well, so you know, it's, far from the rails. <laughs> it's so unfortunate that Paula and Tony can't chip in here on what they thought of the book. It is. You know what? Um, Mr. King, if you're listening, He's this not. is a very unusual meeting of the book club. This is the first yeah. time that anyone has been censured from a citizen censure. And this is the first time Adam Felber has been censured. And I'm sorry you had to hear it, sir. I'm not censured. Oh, you are. You're censured. No, no, you're out of order. You're out of order. No, you're out of um, order. Well, this book club is out of order. I'm, clo I'm closing it for this week because that's... Wow. That's just... That was oh, a, a train wreck. So I, I just got it. Bonnie, what? <laughs> I think I just got it. The reason you're saying... Peter! That there's not... That <laughs> <laughs> The reason that you're saying, like, that it's not really a stylistic writing and there's not the kind of depth to the characters that, like, there was in Moby Dick is because she's just trying to get to the mystery and not bother with any of the ornaments on the way there. No frills, no ornaments, no characters that do things for really good reasons. You know, it's just this guy is going to have to be tormented by this guy and it's going to go on for the whole book until he does something desperate, I guarantee you. Yeah, but even that, I wanted to bring that up. The authors flagged that something bad is going to happen with the border and I'm not sure that was such a good idea. Like, I already know where she's marching to. It's already been done. A lot of the books are already out in print. You can't change that now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wait, I have one more thing. because I, oh, just boy. I thought this was the best thing. Peter! <laughs> when Lizzie's dad says they say that he hates his daughter. Yeah. Like, I thought that was a no. beautiful moment. Because I do think <laughs> there are parents that really hate their kids. They never say that he hates her. What did he say? He can't stand her. He can't stand her and he dislikes her. He dislikes her. Mm. Right. He loves her, but he doesn't like her. But you didn't read that chapter. Yeah. Oh, she didn't. That's You're literally quoting a chapter that you said you didn't read. <laughs> I'm, I'm not quoting the chapter. I read in the dark corner and... and I couldn't see the whole chapter. I saw some words. There's a dark mystery going on on this podcast, but I am going to insist 
that we get out of here before dawn and ask Paula, therefore, <laughs> do you have a word? You know, Adam, I do have a word. Peter! <laughs> oh, my God. That was the weirdest thing. And she still has no idea that she did it. I have a word, Adam, and it's vitiate. It's a verb that means to impair the quality of, make faulty, spoil. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. The discovery of his fingerprints on the gun could vitiate his defense. Here, I'll use it in Tucker Carlson's family setting when he was a boy. (laughs) Tucker's mother. Tucker, what are you crying about? It's time to sit up and eat your dinner. Tucker. My applesauce is touching my mashed potatoes. Tucker's father. That's nothing to cry about, son. It won't vitiate your meal. Tucker. It will. It will. It will vitiate my meal. And it's Joe Biden's fault. It's Joe Biden's fault. Tucker's mother. Tucker. Joe Biden is a senator from Delaware. Why would he vitiate your meal? Tucker. Because he wants to make us all communists. Tucker's father. Honey, he's just trying to get attention. Don't engage with him. Tucker's mother, Tucky. I'll tell you what. Would you like to have a nice Swanson frozen dinner so your applesauce can't touch your mashed potatoes? Tucker's father. Honey, don't. If we give in to these attention-getting behaviors now, he'll never outgrow them. He may vitiate our democracy someday. Tucker's mother. Oh, don't be silly. Little Buckley Carlson. Dad, what's vitiate? Tucker's father. Well, Buckley, vitiate means to impair the quality of, make faulty, spoil. Little Buckley Carlson. You're right, Dad. He would do that. (laughs) It's a great word, vitiate. I think it should be in our vocabulary song. This week's word is vitiate. It's a verb that means to impair the quality of, make faulty, spoil. The ocean is much better when we don't spill oil. Last week's word was imprimatur. It's a noun that means a person's acceptance or guarantee that something is of a good standard. If Marjorie Taylor Greene gives you her imprimatur, you're better off being slandered. The week before that, the word was prevaricate. It's a verb that means speak or act in an invasive way. Um, well, it's just that I'd rather not say. (laughs) Going back before that, the word was QWERTY. It's an adjective that means referring to the standard layout on English language typewriters and keyboards. Having Q, W, E, R, T, and Y as the first keys on the top row of letters. Typing teachers have it on the front of their sweaters. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. Woo, bravo! Tony Anita Hull, if you can tell me whose biography among a list of four could not be written without our former vocabulary word crepitate, 
we will give literally dollars worth of advertising to Detroit Book City Bookstore, 27260 Southfield Road, Suite 201 in Lathrop Village, Michigan. However, and my heart stops just thinking about it, if you cannot tell me whose biography among a list of four could not be written without the word crepitite, we will not be able to give literally dollars worth of advertising to Detroit Book City Bookstore at 27260 Southfield Road, Suite 201, Lathrop Village, Michigan. Tony Anita Hall, are you ready? I'm ready. Which of the following biography subjects could not be written without the word crepitate? A, Bob Hope. B, Bonnie Burns. C, (laughs) Neville Chamberlain. Or D, Henry David Thoreau. Bonnie Burns. That is correct, (laughs) Tony Anita Hall. What's it mean? Crepitate is an intransitive verb that means to make repeated sounds crackle, oh. uh, rattle. There it is. Congratulations, Tony Anita Hall. You have not only impressed the world, especially Moldova, with your extensive vocabulary knowledge, you have also won literally dollars worth of advertising for Detroit Book City Bookstore at 27260 Southfield Road, Suite 201 in Lathrop Village, Michigan. We at Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone encourage those of you in the Lathrop Village, Michigan area to stop by Detroit Bookie Bookie Bookstore, (laughs) Detroit Book City Bookstore, and read as many books as you can about critical race theory, Grab Robert E. Lee and Me by Ty Sedgley or pick up some banned books for your children. Wow, that's fantastic. All right. Coming up, Jonathan Swift wrote, he was a bold man that first ate an oyster. And to quote that very oyster at the time, whoa, bright light. And wow, that's a giant face. Hi there, face. Wait, what the fuck? We'll peek inside the world of oysters when we come back. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of a midsummer night's dream okay and i played i played peter quince there there's the connection one of the mechanicals that's a great connection also yes has nothing to do with this which is that um quince is an online clothing store and as you know paula i've uh, i've lost a little weight lately oh right 75 pounds yeah so i literally have no clothes that are in my size until i just ordered some stuff at quince and i figured like here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. These are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed, lounge 
jogger. Ooh. And, you know, I put them on when I came back from New York. I pulled them on and I, I swear to you, okay, this is not scientific because I was tired already. Right. But they were so soft <laughs> and, and so comfortable that honestly, like right as I got them up to my waist, I I, I think my eyes closed. They're so, co- it's a softness. It's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kind of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. When sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. Nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't (laughs) think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because when Helix first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect 
favorite mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Jack London said, You know, I really prefer cats. <laughs> Thank you, house band Sylvia Devanzo. Hey, Woo! Paula. Adam. Now that I'm seeing you, you look a little out of sorts. Is that correct? You know, I was walking down by the beach, and uh, and I got hit in the head uh, uh, by by an oyster. An oyster. There was a bird above me, and it dropped an oyster on my head. Maybe it was trying to open it. Yeah, <laughs> they. <laughs> I understand they drop them on rocks, but yeah, oyster right right on my head. No signs, no nothing, no horseradish, no sauce of any kind. <laughs> Just an oyster right on my head. It's weird. Well, did that lead to thoughts of any kind in your head? Did getting hit in the head by an oyster lead to my any first thoughts? Thought, my first thought was, ow, son of a bitch. Okay, okay, good. And then... Are we, are we having somebody on who can talk about son of a bitch? <laughs> no, we are not. Oh. So if, if that was your only thought, if that was your only thought after being hit in the head with an oyster, then we might be in a little bit of trouble here. Oh, you know what I thought? What are oysters for? Who's eating these oysters? What, what's the purpose of an oyster, for heaven's sakes? Wow, I'm so glad you had that thought, Paula, because by happenstance, we have an expert in that subject right here. Julie Chu is an international oyster expert and founder of In a Half Shell. Please welcome Julie Chu. Incidents. Crazy. Uh, Julie Chu, thank you so much for being here. Uh, uh, Julie, let me just start by saying I was not really hit in the head with an oyster today. I feel bad for lying to you. Um, I, don't, I don't actually eat oysters anymore, but I used to love them. 
and I used to eat lots of them. Why didn't I ever find a pearl in one? Oh, hi. Well, thank you so much for having me on here. I'm a little disappointed you didn't get hit on the head with a brilliant oyster. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, it, was it was a lobster. It was a lobster dropped on my head. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so to answer your question, you know, the oysters that we typically eat are not the same species as the oysters that create the pretty pearls. Those what? Are, I know, mind blown. There are hundreds of different species, some that, you know, produce pearls, uh, like a salt, it's more like a saltwater clam, to be honest. But the oysters that we're eating, they are species that people have found grow fairly, you know, fairly quickly, fairly plump. And unfortunately, they send all of their energy uh, either reproducing or getting fat and not enough in making it's like pearls. me. Honestly, <laughs> they could. No, not that part. Not the part about you. Um, no, but... So there's hundreds of different kinds of oysters? That is shocking. Yes, yes, absolutely. What are the differences? Well, the differences in the edible species and the commercial species you find are in different shapes and sizes, the types of environments they like to grow and live in. Um, from a taste perspective, they actually all have pretty different baseline flavors. So for example, the oysters on the Atlantic coast, they typically have more of a minerality, a bit more savoriness, a bit more chew. Whereas on the Pacific coast, on those West coast oysters, you get like a lot of cucumber notes, seaweed, a watermelon rind, a lot of creaminess that you would never get in Atlantic oyster. And then it goes, you know, the entire spectrum. So from coppery to mushroom to, I think sometimes oysters taste like prosciutto. Wow. I don't think I've ever eaten side by side like two different kinds of oysters. And so I haven't had the comparison. When you mentioned when you mentioned that commercial oysters, I thought for sure you were going to say that at Valentine's Day, there's heart shaped ones. And then at Easter, um, they come in an egg shape. Uh, yeah, well, it just seemed, seemed logical. <laughs> are, 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 are they good for you? Because they are um, they are kind of disgusting. Oh, God. Okay. Well, so let's start there. Yes, they're absolutely good for you. Um, oysters are kind of a superfood. So each one packs a lot of essential minerals. They're low in calories, pretty reasonably low in fat, good omega-3s. Uh, if you eat just about six uh, medium-sized oysters, it will give you over 200% of your daily value of zinc. And you know that's really important right now because zinc helps to strengthen your immune system. So, yeah, ever since I started eating oysters, I really have not gotten sick very much. Wow. I hope you don't get sick during this interview. <laughs> yeah, that would be a terrible way to break the streak. Yeah. I'd feel that horrible. would be. That would um, be. <laughs> why, why, uh, why are you not supposed to eat oysters in a month with no R in it? Yeah, so that is a very popular adage. And... You know, I think it actually comes from back in the day before modern uh, oyster farming technology, when you had to rely on oysters reproducing the oyster beds in the bay uh, naturally, right? And they typically do that in the summertime. So one part of it is like, you shouldn't touch them while they're doing their thing so you can contain and sustain the ongoing population. The other thing is that, you know, once uh, cities around, you know, popular oyster uh, areas start to develop, more and more pollution bacteria got into the water 
And that kind of caused all sorts of problems. So when you're eating shellfish in the summertime, when bacteria is just, it's just not great to think about, people would get sick quite a lot. So, you know, that's where it comes from. But today I would say it's totally fine to eat oysters in months with ours and without ours, um, simply because of my, my, our rule is it has to be refrigerated and there has to be regulation. So oysters, you got to know where you're buying your oysters from, from certified, really high quality water. And you've got to keep them under certain temperature in your refrigerator, under 40 degrees. And then that you are perfectly safe. Then you can have an oyster themed birthday party in May or June or July. Um, All right. You (laughs) mentioned oyster farms. What is an oyster farm? Oyster farms are essentially the the main re, the main way that we all get our oysters to the raw bar to the grocery stores. Um, almost like over ninety five percent of all oysters around the world are farmed, and it's one of the most sustainable forms of aqua farming or aquaculture. Um, and what they do is essentially plant crops of baby oysters. They act more like plants than anything because they don't move after you put them in in the water, and they just filter algae. Uh, phytoplankton, zooplankton out of the water um, to grow and they get big and they get harvested, processed and packaged and delivered to us. So for the most part, the oyster industry and the shellfish industry are really big and continue to grow. And we're really lucky in the U.S. to have such a variety of different oysters to enjoy. And, you know, hopefully it will continue on because it's, I say it's like one of the easiest ways to become more connected to your food, uh, especially seafood, where you can see the farms and they're in the most beautiful areas. And yeah, I mean, I can definitely get into the technical aspects of farming, but what they're really doing is just putting them in the water. They're growing there on their own and then being harvested. Where in the water do they put them? Different places do things differently. So for example, in Cape Cod, uh, or actually Duxbury Bay, just north of the Cape, you have bottom culture where they're literally just throwing baby oysters out into the bay and just they're just hanging out on the seafloor and not going anywhere. Other places like in Washington or sometimes in Virginia and in New York, they have to be kept in kind of like plastic or metal cages, um, mostly to protect them from predators. And they are either put on the seafloor or floating on the, the surface. So sometimes when you drive by an oyster farm, you might not see anything at all because the tide is in. You might see some buoys out there in a row, and that's actually what, you know, that, that's containing them. Mm-hmm. Do oysters flap around like you sometimes see videos of clams doing? No. Is it really hard for them to move? They are, it's impossible. So once an oyster, they do move for maybe a few days at the very beginning of their lives. Um, they're really looking for a place to settle. Little baby oysters develop what they call an eye and they sense is light and dark. And they're using these really basic senses. They have to figure out strategically what is the best place to just cement themselves down and be able to continue on living. So typically in the wild, little oysters like that will like to settle on other oyster shell. For some reason, they can figure this out. I don't know how, but they can. (laughs) And they settle on the other oyster shells and thus creating an oyster reef. Um, today, I think they do do this all in a hatchery and it's, you know, it's very, uh, meticulous. So you get like these perfect cupped oysters 
When you say settle, do they have like a connective tissue of some sort or or they just lay there? They have, they carry with them a little bit of oyster glue and that's what they use to... It's like a flex seal commercial. (laughs) They they carry a little bit of this glue and they will, yeah, kind of just cement themselves to another oyster. And their shell is made of mostly calcium carbonate and that's what they get from the water and then they just grow from there. Um, But after that, they literally don't move anywhere. They will open their mouths a little bit to breathe and eat, but that's it. They don't don't swim around like scallops. How how do they mate then? I mean, this is the inevitable question. How do they mate (laughs) if they're not moving at all? Are you like going to cue some music to this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's get, some, let's get some disco sounds happening or maybe something, you know, a little Barry White-esque. For so long, you and me have been finding each other or BJ's. for so long. <laughs> All right. No, so, no, no, that's yeah. Andy Gibb. Good. How do they mate? So, uh, well, there are male and female oysters, although fun fact, most oysters start their lives as males and then they end up becoming females once they feel like the time is right. Um, And it kind of just happens in perfect conditions when the water hits a certain temperature, when there's a lot of food around, they just get into the mood. And I believe the males will start just, I don't know another word for this, I guess ejaculating (laughs) into the water and the female sense it and then they will release their eggs. And fertilization has to happen in the water column for for most, well, some of the species of oysters. There's other species that have a different technique where the females will actually fertilize the eggs within them, but most of it is just done in the water kind of at random. So you can imagine how many oysters you need in the water. So they never know who their parents are. No, no. They might know their general family members, but yeah, they don't. Wow. So So it's outside of the shell. Yes. Yeah. Yes, for the wow. for the oysters on the east and west coast that we're most familiar with. Now, when the female oysters, uh, I guess, expel their eggs, do they ever shout, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> that was something that happened earlier on the show. Earlier on the show, yeah. That's, uh, uh, Bonnie, Bonnie, okay. Bonnie Burns yelled Bonnie Peter said for reasons Peter, that we're still speculating about. And she doesn't even really, she, she did. It was weird. No. <laughs> All right, well, you know, Andrew Carnegie once said, the first man gets the oyster, the second man gets the shell, and then added, enjoy your shell, Mr. Bond. We'll have another round of oysters when we come back. The Cat of the Week is Crispy from San Francisco, California. I'm back out performing in theaters, which is good because cats don't laugh. And the city workers digging up the pipes in the alley for the last month were not enjoying my work. You, sir, with the shovel and the reflective vest, uh, what do you do for a living? Ma'am, you want to get the fuck out of here. Well, how does that title look on a business card? Ma'am, do you want to get the fuck out of here? What skills are required for that job? So... It'll be good to be back with you in a theater. I have missed you so much. If you'll come vaxxed or tested and masked, we'll be able to revel in a night of healing laughter again and again and again, and I won't get hit with a shovel.
And we're back with Julie Chu, oyster expert. And uh, Julie, ironically, you don't chew oysters, do you? Yes, you do. You absolutely must. Oh, you do? You absolutely must. There is some, I don't know who started it, someone who doesn't know what they're talking about, say you should just knock an oyster back like a shooter. That defeats the whole purpose of eating an oyster because when you chew the oyster, it actually uh, releases all of the nuanced flavors and the sweetness of the oyster. I know some people get squeamish about the texture. They think it, you know, tastes like salt and slime. And that's pretty much because it was poorly, uh, like, shucked and poorly opened. It can oh, get really? a pre- shucked? Oh, yes. What do you mean? What's good shucked and what's poorly shucked? So, you know, there's, like, a good, well-cooked steak and a shitty steak. Uh, yeah. There's a good cocktail. There's a shitty cocktail. There's absolutely a well-shucked oyster and a shitty shucked oyster that makes a world of difference on how you experience it. Because that well, texture. What's the difference? Explain the shuculation process. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I wish I had a, a, a visual and a graph that I can show you, but an oyster that is well shucked will look like the knife never touched it at all. It just simply lifted the top shell and it's laying perfectly in the shell. The knife doesn't stab inside the meat. The knife like cuts through the top muscle perfectly cleanly so it doesn't leave any meat on the top. And it just retains all of the liquor or the liquid in in the shell. So typically when you go into a raw bar with a novice shucker, you'll see them kind of scramble the oyster. It it basically looks like someone chewed it and then spit it back out into ah. the shell. Yeah. As if it weren't gross enough without that uh, imagery. <laughs> what 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 other species are we competing with? Like who else eats them? Who's a predator to an oyster? Uh, yeah, it's it depends on where you are um, in the world and around the country. But, you know, other critters, like there are oyster drills that love to drill into oysters, eat them up from, you know, the inside out. Starfish, I know some green crabs, extremely invasive in some of the areas, they're decimating shellfish populations. Um, but, you know, small marine animals and critters like that. Is an oyster it. drill a kind of animal? It is. It's like another type of... Um, uh, crustacean. I don't know exactly category, but yeah, it's very tiny. Wow. That, that must be, I mean, it sounds like such natural enemies when uh, one species' whole name is it, about it, killing it, the other. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, we contend maybe with bears, but bears aren't called, you know, people eaters. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that just seems cruel. Um, all right. Are they like rabbits where they're just sort of around for, I mean, what do they do? Are they just around for people and oyster drills to eat? Well, back back before we kind of took over everything, oysters really played an essential um, role in the ecosystem. They're called a keystone species. Um, and they're ecosystem engineers. So when you have natural oyster reefs in the water, they're actually very complex structures. They're, they're sort of, there's like little nooks and crannies that provide so much great habitat for juvenile fish, kind of like coral reefs in the tropical waters. Oyster reefs are, so if they do that, they also filter an enormous amount of water all the time. Uh, people say up to 50 gallons and per day, an, an adult oyster can filter. And what they're doing there what, oyster? is- Oh, yes. An adult oyster, maybe like more or less, but still, it's a, a, a really large volume of water that goes in and out of that oyster. So we should um, put them in our fish tanks. You you can. There's actually a video online where they demonstrate they put some oysters in a tank with a ton of algae and it just cleared it up in 30 minutes. 
There's so a wait a minute. Amazing. So wait, when I did eat oysters, it's like I have a I have a filter in my vacuum cleaner, but it would never occur to me to take the filter out and eat it. Because uh, aren't we eating the gross shit that got filtered out of the water? I know. I thought about this a lot too, but fortunately, you know, we're not eating oysters that are coming from New York Harbor, right? We're eating oysters that are coming from waters that are tested regularly for pollution and contaminants. So they have to, you know, pass a certain level of cleanliness to be able to be consumed raw. Of course you can cook oysters and, you know, that will eliminate all pathogens. But typically when, like going back to the R rule before, I will never ever eat or buy an oyster where I didn't know where it's coming from, or I didn't trust the source because in that place, yeah, you can get into a lot of trouble. But oysters, they are essentially just filtering out mostly algae in the water and they won't actually retain things that they can't eat. They'll, you know, they'll just pick at it and then spew it out um, and discard it altogether. So you're not actually eating all like the muck. Oh, it's good to know. It's reassuring. I don't <laughs> feel that reassured. Um, you want you want to eat the ones that have little signs that say "Not from New York Harbor." Exactly. Um, yes. And they spend their lifetimes making those signs. How how is the oyster population? Are they protected? How is it faring? Well, wild oyster population is not doing great. They, I think, last. I mean, at least over 90% of all wild oyster reefs around the world are virtually extinct. And so that's why you have so many oyster farms kind of taking their place to fulfill that demand. And to be honest, there, you know, when you grow a wild oyster next to, or when you harvest a wild oyster next to a farmed oyster, because they're filtering the same water and eating the same food, they don't taste different at all. It's just actually the, the farmed oyster might taste a little bit better because it's being pampered its entire life. It's being conditioned. It's working out, developing great, you know, uh, meat to shell ratio and all that good stuff. Whereas a wild oyster is just struggling to survive and it might just be like, eh, it's kind of good, but it's not as good. Um, but yeah, most of the oyster reefs, they are, they're kind of wiped out. So in addition to oyster farms, there are many great restoration projects around the country that are trying to restore oyster reefs Ooh. to provide those ecosystem functions that they once had. So wait a minute. When you said about a farmed oyster being right beside a free oyster, what makes the farmer identify one as, as part of his oyster herd? <laughs> and the other one, little oysters. And the other one not. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that is just to show an example of it, it, the farming doesn't change the aspects of the oyster, the flavor characteristics. But there are in some instances where you have farms where they're using equipment to contain the oysters, right? And mm -hmm. sometimes oysters will just go rogue and they drop out of the thing, they go feral. And, I mean, that is probably the closest that they can get to becoming wild again. Uh, some instances, they tried farming, they gave up because it wasn't working, but there were some oyster populations that just clung on and survived on their own. I guess, suppose, in a way that those are those are kind of wild as well. Uh, well. No, so an oyster will just, like, take off its uniform and throw it down and go, you're not the boss of me, and then leave the farm? <laughs> um, whether they, yeah, I mean, that might not be their choice, <laughs> but they, they could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving this where, farm. Where are these restored oyster beds? And um, aren't people just going to eat them? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I'm based in Brooklyn. So the 
organization that I'm most familiar with is Billion Oyster Project. Um, and its mission is to restore one billion oysters to New York Harbor in the next, I, I think now it's like 25, 30 years, and also educate young high school students about the importance of doing aquaculture environmental stewardship. So they're, they're essentially um, creating artificial oyster reefs and putting it in different locations around New York Harbor and hoping that they can put enough of a population in those spaces where the oysters will start to naturally repopulate because they still can do their thing in the summertime. Uh, they can spawn on their own and hopefully create new oyster reefs. They have the same, a similar program in the Chesapeake as well as in Washington when where they're actually trying to restore uh, the original native species there called the Olympia oyster. And that oyster species, it's really hard to find on the East Coast because they don't, they don't ship well at all but they also got decimated. So wait a minute. So when you said Washington, do you mean Washington State or Washington, D.C.? Washington State. Washington oh, because oh, I, I was going to say the Oath Keepers uh, were, had some guns that they were going to use the Potomac to go across in uh, with their guns, and I was wondering how many oysters might have been uh, insurrectionists. Um, what would happen to the earth without oysters or the oceans? Yeah, uh, well, a lot of people would be pretty darn sad, including myself. But uh, <laughs> you love oysters. I mean, the people I couldn't do. eat the oysters. Okay, couldn't there's that. eat the oysters, but because they're you know a keystone species. What does that mean, well, keystone species? A keystone species, I understand it to be a species that has just really profound impact on the entire food chain and just plays a really important role in the biodiversity of an environment. And if you if you take one out, like a lot of weird and devastating things can happen. I, I can't even foresee, you know, actually, you could look at the Chesapeake as an example of when they took out all the oysters, or most of them, most of them got wiped out in some form or another, and the water just couldn't cycle very quickly. So you get this mucky water that is not very clear, not clean, not abundant in life, too much nutrient overload. So the oysters really help to regulate that environment. And now, you know, with them bringing them back, you can see a total difference in water quality and just the abundance of fish and other marine life in the environment. So if you were to take it away, I, I think you would go back to not not a really so, exciting So it's like place. an architectural keystone, that thing that if you take it away, the whole thing falls. Yes. Yeah. Well, so it's like... Um, so oysters are the George Bailey, the It's a Wonderful Life George Bailey of the ocean. If they weren't there, so many other things wouldn't happen. Like uh, yes, like the like the men on the transport ship would have died, and and the oyster's mother um, would have become a widow and uh, run a boarding house and been angry. I get it. Uh, yeah, I think that really makes it very clear, Paula. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's having at Then hand, they go running through the bed going, hello, you beautiful rocks. Yeah, exactly. Hello, yeah. Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, having a good analogy on hand, and, you know, I have like a filmography in my head. So having that, those kinds of tools are very helpful, particularly when you're talking science. Um, now, uh, you you prefer eating oysters raw, am I correct? Yes, 100%. Yeah. 
Now, um, how fresh are they when 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 people eat them at at the raw bar or wherever? I mean, they have to be pretty fresh, right? They do have to be pretty fresh. Um, I mean, it's I guess it depends on the species again and where you're located. So fortunately, in New York City, flights come in and out daily, and you get a lot of seafood coming into the city and going out. So typically when I go into, like, say, my favorite bar in Manhattan, those oysters might have been harvested like three days ago, up to maybe a week because, you know, turnover is so high. That said, I mean, I I would have to say the freshness is, it's kind of interesting because, yes, you absolutely want a fresh oyster. You shouldn't eat oysters when they are already dead and gaping open. Um, but oysters can last a surprisingly long time in your fridge and still taste amazing. Like, especially in the winter and for certain oysters in the Atlantic, they can live up to like a month in your fridge. And when I open them, they t- still taste like as if they were harvested from the water like five or six days ago. Wow. Those ones harvested from the water, are they, when you're eating them within five or six days, are they, are they alive? Yes, they are. That is so creepy. That is really creepy. So here's the thing. The oysters, you really want to eat raw oysters alive. And if you're cooking them, I don't think it really matters. You can get pre-shucked oysters, whatever. But a a fresh oyster, once it dies, you know, the time is ticking and it starts to uh, decompose, you know, that's cycle of life. So you absolutely want to eat them freshly killed. And the oyster, when you do open them, if you're good, you will still, you know, have all the muscle intact. And the heart of the oyster is right next to that muscle that is keeping the two shells closed. So generally when people open the oyster and shuck it, it's, you know, you're essentially just freshly killing that oyster. Um, Some of the nerve endings on the outside will still remain alive and might squirm a little bit, but, you know, sorry if that... Squirm? (laughs) You're, you're, You're killing it when you shuck it? Yeah, for the most part, yeah, because the heart is right there next to that muscle. Do you think there will come a time where we have combination lock oysters and you yeah. just turn a <laughs> dial back and forth, left, right, left, something? The to- sh- right, the shucking is a challenge for some people. Um, I've seen innovations where they're trying to make oysters easier to shuck. Like The coolest thing I've seen recently is in France, they actually will open the oyster a little bit for you and then cover this hole with wax. So it's partially open. So you have an easy way of opening it just by poking your knife inside the shell without it, you know, kind of uh, the liquid falling out. So there's, yeah, there's been a lot of ways people have tried to make oysters easier. I mean, a combination lock sounds like it would make it harder to open. So I don't know if that would ever. Sure. If you're in the junior (laughs) high. Yeah. I mean, you could stand in front of that oyster all day. You could cry. A lot of, lot yeah. of junior high kids cry about their lockers. Um, wow. Well, this has really been uh, fascinating. Julie, that was excellent. And now we're going to run all of this fresh shucked information through a machine we call a Pounstonator. Paula? House band Broadway violinist Sylvia Devonzo. Thank you. You sound terrific. Boy, I'll bet you're going back to Broadway to brag about this. Everyone in the orchestra pit is going to be like, how'd you get that? You'll be the envy of the whole pit. Anyway, thanks so much for playing for us. And if I could ask you for a little background music, I'll tell you what the old Pounstonator spit out. 
international oyster expert, Julie Chu, thank you for unlocking the mysteries of the sea to reveal so much information about oysters. I wish I had known all this back when I ate them. Uh, are you ready to order? Yeah, this place is amazing. I'll have the 100 species oyster plate. And you, sir? Yeah, I'll have the 100 species oyster plate, too. Excellent, sir. And you, ma'am? <laughs> ma'am, are, are you okay? <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'll have the 100 species oyster plate. I'm sure I can't finish it myself, but I'm expecting someone. Fine, ma'am. And what can I get you, ma'am? I'll take another Manhattan and I'd like the 100 species oyster plate. Oh, 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 my good man. Now off with you and be lively. <laughs> Fifteen minutes later. Here we are. This thing's gonna break my fucking teeth. No, sir, you, you don't eat the shell. Mmm, this one is creamy and savory, whereas this one tastes a little like bacon. Winnie, aren't you gonna eat... I can't understand what's keeping Adam. <laughs> this one tastes almost <laughs> sweet. And wait, there's a pearl in it. No, the kind we eat don't have pearls. Well, I found a pearl. This one tastes like gummy bears that have been cooked in a crock pot overnight. So, let me get this straight. Oysters don't have sex? The guys just jack <laughs> off into the ocean? What are them, little oyster porn magazines to get them all hot? Oh, my heavens. I thought this was a doily under my oyster shells, but it's a priceless Winslow Homer seascape. And this oyster tastes like Rockefeller. <laughs> if Adam was here, he'd say it wasn't a priceless Winslow Homer painting and that you don't have a boil. There's something about his negativity that I find so sexy. He must be sick or lying on the side of the road. This one tastes like a vanilla wafer. He's fine. We watched the game together about an hour ago. This one tastes like a titty. Get it? Oyster her titty. Get it? <laughs> no, not really, Mike. Why don't you eat a little more shell? Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome, Paula. It was it was a fun. cast of thousands. It was great. It was fun. Oh, thank you. She is an international oyster expert. Check out her website in a half shell. Julie Chu, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Really interesting. Thank you so much. You're wonderful. Coming up, ever wonder if what you're doing is right or wrong? Well, we don't have to because you're happy to tell us. It's Mailbag Busybody Edition when we come back. Fun fact, 
you can hear a blue whale's heartbeat from more than two miles away, which is one of the two reasons why they suck at hide-and-seek. Wow. <laughs> two miles away. Yeah. And we are back. Thank you, Sylvia Davanzo. And now, Paula Poundstone, you know what it's time for, Adam, don't you? Adam, what? Adam, what? In, in, what? answer the phone. Oh, Paula, we've, we've, we've been through a lot together tonight. Are you, are you, are you sure we want to do this? Answer the phone! Uh, I don't know. All right. Hello? Hello, Adam. It's me, uh, Winnie Rose Feynman. And hi, Winnie. I, I just want to thank you, Adam, so much for the Valentine's present. It came huh? a couple weeks late, but it was so sweet of you. I told my mother she was wrong. She w- she shouldn't hate you the way she does. The cards with the polar bears were just wonderful. I'll write you every day. I just love them. They're so cute and powerful. Kind of sexy, really. Okay, Winnie, Winnie, listen. <laughs> I didn't send you a, a Valentine's present. Well, that's even better. Just a no special occasion present. <sighs> Valentine's is such a hallmark holiday. I don't even like it, really. No, Winnie, I didn't send you any present. I get those polar bear cards. They come from the World Wildlife Fund or something like that, I think. They come with a request for a donation, right? You saw a request for a donation. And you sent yours to me. Oh, that was so sweet. It doesn't matter that you got them for free. It's good because it's very recycle, reuse. It's very environmentally aware. I love that about you. That's probably why you didn't just want to buy your own crock pot instead of ruining my mother's. Now that's a fabrication, Winnie. And I didn't send you my polar bear cards. Did you Did Did you look at the envelope? They probably came from the World Wildlife Fund. Am I right? I didn't look at the envelope. I just stuck it in my bra right away so it could be close to my heart. Uh. Oh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Winnie? Winnie? You're right. They're from the World Wildlife Fund. It's just as well. The envelope was poking into my left breast. (laughs) (laughs) What did you send me? It's awfully late. Fucking DeJoy. He ruined my Valentine's Day. I, I didn't send you anything, Winnie. I told you. Were you waiting to find out what I wanted? That's so uh. practical of you. <laughs> I love that about you, Adam Felber. We're a pair to draw to, huh? Who'd have thunk? I'm more unpredictable and sprightly, almost puckish, really. But okay. you, steady as she goes. Anyway, I like almost anything pink or lavender, pastels, you know, and Mr. Practical. I could use a sweater or poils. I'm kidding, but not really. Winnie, I am not going to be. I got, I got, I gotta go. I'm streaming all of the bachelors from the beginning. Call me. <laughs> you didn't send her anything for Valentine's. Why would I send my stalker something for Valentine's Day? She's not a stalker, Adam. She loves what? you. She's. A person who constantly calls me because she loves me, even though I've told her not to. Well, that's the worst thing in the world, huh? Would you rather have, like, you want, like, an insurrection? She loves you. Love is love, Adam. 
Love is love. No, it's literally love. the definition of stalker. <laughs> stalker is the unrequited love where you say, don't call me, and they keep calling you. That's that's the definition. Stalker is they come to your house, they look in your window. They're everywhere you go. She signed a contract on my behalf and got me in that legal problem. Remember when she had me do the, the, that play together? Yeah, uh, love, love, love texts. Wasn't she it? sent love me that texts. weather winnie. Oh, the weather winnie was so nice. It's stalking, Paula. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's not stalking. All right, what uh, you, you keep just breaking her heart. Just, I guess right. I do. Anyway, Paula, let's turn to happier subjects like. Mailbag. Oh wait, wait busy buddy wait, edition. Wait, don't turn to mailbag yet. Yes, Tony Anita Hall's favorite part of mailbag is coming. Oh yes. Okay, now, now, Adam, it's time for mailbag. <phone rings> busy buddy edition. Now, uh, we've gotten a lot of mail. You guys show up on our Facebook page, and, and there's always something brewing there, and you're sending us messages. And also, you email us at nobodylistenstopaulapoundstone at gmail.com. We collect all that stuff. We read every single item. And by we, I mean Tony Anita Hull. We don't just read them. We take them to heart. Oh, yeah. We listen closely. And uh, this week, Tony's got some uh, missives from people who... Uh, Kind of want to tell us how to do our business. Um, and so with no further ado, Tony Nita Hall, please step up to the microphone for Mailbag. Busy Buddy Edition. Okay, so the first email's from Ryan Bondi Lynch. Wait, the first email's from what? From Ryan <laughs> Bondi Lynch. No, but where did you get the email? Yeah, you didn't tell her where you got the email, Tony. Mailbag. <laughs> Busy Buddy Edition. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, Ryan wrote to us, that's an odd German accent, Adam. I got more Fozzie Bear than German, but it was hilarious. So goal achieved, but don't do a German accent at a party without some work. Wow. <laughs> I don't remember your German accent, Adam. Did you do it? No. I mean, I've done many little accents on this show. I don't really pride myself on it. You don't pride yourself on your German accent? As, uh, hello. Welcome to the Reichstag. Waka, waka, waka. <laughs> Is that, it? I, that sounds German to me. That's a German, German uh, Fozzie Bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, he's right. Fozzie Bear would never be a Nazi. Uh, I right. could use some uh, schnitzel, waka, waka, waka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tony, what are you continuing with? Mailbag. <laughs> Busybody edition. <laughs> yeah. Our next piece of mail comes from Wayne Hunter. I can't believe you did a whole episode on crypto in which you mentioned Thomas Coyne and not a single joke was made about Thomas Coyne, cryptocurrency. It was such an easy joke, and I know you love going for those, Wayne Hunter. Ooh, Wayne's throwing a little shade, I think. In addition, yeah. <laughs> wow, that was a multi-leveled Wayne Hunter. Yeah, um, you know what? He's right, and we even have Thomas Coin coins that we send to our listeners. Yeah, made by another one of our listeners, because our listeners actually do all the work around here. Do we send the Thomas Coin coins when we pull something they've written from the Tony? What is it? Mailbag. <laughs> Busybody edition. <laughs> yeah. So, Paul, did you notice that we we messed that up? No, not until Wayne pointed it out. I did notice that you said, by the way, that 
cryptocurrency couldn't be stolen. And then there was a story in the paper last week about cryptocurrency being stolen. So, Absolutely right. Shove that back in your... <laughs> I would not advise you to mess with me in that manner, Paula Poundstone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tony, Tony, step right back up uh, and, and, and read us from that thing, whatever that thing is that you're reading us from. You mean the mailbag? <laughs> Busy buddy. <laughs> Aggie Richardson writes, I hope Bonnie sticks with her. We've got a book club. We've got a book club. We've got a bookie, 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 book club song. I get such a kick out of how it sounds like the cry of triumph a hen who has just laid an egg produces. She included a YouTube link where you can go watch and hear those hens laying their eggs. Have no other nobodies noticed the resemblance? Did no other nobodies ever have laying hens? That is shocking that we don't have a multitude of listeners that have laying hens. That is shocking. It's also the third mailbag item in a row where it starts out really nice, and then by the end of it, we're comparing <laughs> Bonnie singing to a chicken squeezing an egg out of its hoo-ha. No, it's after they've laid the egg. Oh. There's a cry of triumph after. When it's squeezing the egg out of its hoo-ha, that's not a cry of triumph. That's just a cry. Yeah. It's just, ow! yeah, this is the sound effects of, and I know this because Peggy and I are good friends. This is the sound effects of a chicken laying an egg, like, oh, okay. plop. <laughs> bookie, bookie, book club, bookie, bookie. That's, That's an amazing chicken impression, Paula. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, I watched, just like a chicken. I've seen Joyce White Vance's chickens. And I can sort of see how it sounds yeah. a little bit like Bonnie singing. Bookie, bookie, club. The YouTube link does kind of sound like it. Can you play it for us? Yeah, can you play it? <laughs> it does. It sounds oh, wow. just like book, 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 book. <laughs> I, I don't think it does. I can't say Peggy's wrong. Okay, how about this? It's freaking me out. Uh, Peggy Richardson, thank you so much for that. Uh, 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 Tony, what else do you have uh, from the, uh, the whatchamacallit? Uh, what is that thing? The mailbag. Busy body edition. Uh, this is from Jana Co from Lexington, Kentucky. Hi, all, and Adam, too. Regarding your question during, <laughs> quote, mailbag about whether we prefer a longer podcast or a more compact one, I definitely vote for longer. In fact, I actually play your podcast at 80% speed so that they last longer. Oh, yeah. So then you'll hear Bonnie sing, Bucky, Bucky, Exactly. Bag. Um, I was quite upset at Rachel a long time ago, not the recent Rachel, when she asked for a shorter podcast so that it would match her commute time. I remember. Longer, not shorter. I've listened to every show and just can't get enough of you guys. Love, Jana. Wow. That is very nice, Jana. You know what, Jana? I'm allergic to Lexington, Kentucky. I've been there before. I sneezed from the moment I got off the plane until the moment I got back on the plane. All through my show, all through trying to pack. And then I got on the plane 
and I had no more problem, and I feel I am allergic to Lexington. I don't know if it's like horse dander. Uh, I don't know what it could be. Isn't that weird? It is weird. I've never been there. I've been to Louisville, Kentucky, and I think I might have been there with you, Paula, doing a wait wait. You taught improv in Louisville. <laughs> in fact, in fact, didn't. <laughs> Tony, no. Tony didn't. Did. No, no, I didn't. Tony, what? Uh, what else? What else do you have there in the mailbag? <laughs> Busybody edition. Our last one comes from Misty. Our Nichols. last what? The last mailbag. Busybody edition. Yeah. So Miss Hey, did we hear from Misty Nichols? Misty Nichols. I've been at, I've been wondering about her. Why does Misty Nichols never write us? Yeah. Um remember that great movie Play Misty Nichols for me? <laughs> yes. Terrific yeah. film. Scary. It is good. Peter. I like the bit okay. where they break a dollar um. towards the end. <laughs> Busybody edition. All right, Tony, let her roll. Okay, so Misty writes, since I have listened to so many episodes of the show, I'm going through old episodes. I know the duck episode was controversial, <laughs> but I love both the ducks and the interview and everything about Bonnie. That's nice. Oh. Oh, you know what? I just realized if you rearrange Misty Nichols' name, the letters, it spells Bonnie Burns. Great cover, oh. Bonnie. Great cover. Nice move there, Bonnie. Smooth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Isn't that a funny coincidence that I love everything about Bonnie, written by Bonnie. 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 I do want to talk about the Ducks thing, because I don't think we've talked about it enough. For those of you who, who might be new listeners here, about a year and a half ago, Paula had the idea that she was going to have Ducks. No, I didn't have an idea, Adam. I have a dog, my dog Mo, who is a prankster. You know, like, as many of you know, I sit on my treadmill on a chair while we tape the show, and sometimes she's turned the treadmill on, and my ch- I've gone flying backwards. She just does stuff. And one day, it was the day to tape the show, and she put a bunch of ducks in my bedroom office <laughs> where I taped the show. <laughs> okay. Well, we're, we're going with that story. Um, but I do want to note that, like, putting that show together was a nightmare for Bonnie Burns. Was it not, Bonnie Burns? It was. We had such a hard time getting them to, like, do louder quacks when there were jokes and then, like, softer quacks <laughs> and then something would happen where you it would call for louder quacks. And after all that work, a lot of our listeners found it unlistenable. <laughs> No, many people loved the ducks. But, you know, first of all, it's remarkable that my dog could get ducks and put them in my bedroom slash office on the day of the taping. The idea that you expected her to get trained ducks is just absurd. (laughs) Well, that is a good point. Okay, but I think it took a lot of nerve for us to run a show that had ducks quacking for the entire 90 minutes. It was a profile in courage. I'm surprised we haven't received that Kennedy Award. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right, and that brings us, I guess, to the end of our mailbag. Busybody edition. And nobody's, once again, if you have questions or comments, go to that Facebook group or drop us a line at nobodylistenstopaulapoundstone at gmail.com. Hey, Paula, what's going on in your... You know what? I think... That if you are Rachel, you should turn the podcast off right now. But 
<laughs> if you're Jana, you should keep it on. And maybe even slow it down even more. So, Paula, what's a- going on in your brownstone <laughs> product empire? Well, Adam. Adam, as you know, Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, has been on a branding bender, getting the word out about all of our products through as many outlets as possible. However, I may have made a misstep by running an ad for Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, during the Super Bowl. I've I've just been on a mission to get uh, Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, to get their name out there. And I may not have thought it through enough. Uh, The ad time was $7 million for a 30-second spot. And that was just, I don't know about you, but for me, that was out of my price range. Uh, So to me, that's pound, just plain pound foolish. So I took out a loan and bought a half a second of ad time for $116,666.67. Did you see it? It was really easy to miss. It was almost subliminal right after the Amazon ad. Uh, you might have just thought you saw a remarkably soft tri-polyblend t-shirt with my self-portrait on the left breast and a memorable quote on the back on the screen. Anyway, I really thought... We'd see a big bump in sales by now. This is a couple weeks later. I should have included audio, but you, you couldn't really even get Poundstone out in half a second. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I'm just hoping people will go to PaulaPoundstone.com, click on shop, and order a T-shirt or a Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone sweatshirt, which has a double needle hem on the hood and pouch pocket. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone logo on the front and a memorable quote on the back. And I send along a simple sample dialogue to help the listener who feels awkward telling people that they listen. Plus, get a handmade catnip-stuffed Poundstone Pussy Pillow autographed to your cat, all at paulapoundstone.com. There's more, of course, but Heidi. Oh, Heidi, we're so sorry that we're taking up valuable time of yours. But, you know, I do want to point out, if I can just insert this with Heidi's permission, that my new podcast, Dad Band Land, an exploration of all things pop and rock music from the perspective of a neighborhood cover band, is now burning up the charts. And you should definitely go and check it out wherever you get your podcast. That's Dad Band Land. And in fact, some of our Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone's listeners have something to say about it, because Tony Nita Hall was nice enough to post a link to it on our page. Um, and ask if anybody's listening. And uh, Gordon said, I have, and I'm an instant fan. I recommend it to any 40 to 50-ish rock and roller with strong opinions. I think you could be <laughs> as young as 39 or as old as 51, but, you know, that's that's just me. Chelsea said, I am shamefully spending dollars worth of advertising promoting this podcast. If only I had a theme song <laughs> to interject into every irrelevant conversation that I engage in. Very positive. Yeah, very positive reviews. And by the way, go to Apple Podcasts and review both this podcast and Dad Bandland. We're just waiting for you to do that. I don't think that was a long enough plug for his podcast. Who cleared that? I'm kidding, Adam. I see the look on your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to see this look on my face, Bonnie. We're taking 45 seconds out of a fucking three-hour podcast to mention my other thing. <laughs> That's why it's so good that we see each other now, isn't it? There. Is that clearer, Bonnie? 
Um, where are we? <laughs> We're trying to get out of here. We're doing this. Remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. It's free. And if there's a subject or topic you want to know more about, again, that's nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. And that at long last is our show. <laughs> nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. It's hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam Lay Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Julie Chu. Choo choo. Thanks to our house band, Sylvia Davanzo. Yes! Yes! Thank you. This here podcast is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hull. Star Burns production by Land Romo. Poundstone Industries production by Vic Lowry. It takes a village, people. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? <laughs> you know what? There's duck shit on my floor. You never cleaned it? No. No, I... It's, it's fresh. I, I think it's a new duck. Oh, boy. Man, that, that, that pup is still... Uh, oh, she's, camp. she's so mischievous. She's really uh, mischievous. So, Adam... You're doing another podcast now? Oh, I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> no, go on. Because so, what yeah. is it? A land dad? What is it? Dad? What? <laughs> it's it's dad dad blammed dad band land. D- dad, dad blam it, dad. The dad 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 nab it dad band. <laughs> dad, yeah. It's, a, it's you know what I want to know? Was it no. Peter Ustinov or was it Peter O'Toole? Oh yeah. Or Falk. Could have been Falk. Oh, she totally boned Peter Falk. Oh, God, you guessed it. Shit. (laughs) Right towards the end, he said, I swear I am looking at you. Go for the disability. (laughs) What did Paula say? She said, go for the disability. Go for the... Oh, my God. Speaking of disabilities, Grandma, I said disabilities. (laughs) You usually whisper in this part you call the coda. I guarantee you I did not say Peter. No, you said Peter. I did. It's one thing not to be able to hear other people. It's really weird not to hear what you say. (laughs) It's not just a hearing problem. It's beyond. You know what that is? Three miles away in Uh, the distance, guys? What? Those are the rails of our show. <laughs> Star Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.